Hey guys, welcome to the MC Anime Podcast. We cover anime, geek culture, Japanese aesthetics, and Asian studies. We are a multi fandom podcast, and you can expect to hear topics in your favorite hobby or fandom activity potentially. You can find MC Anime on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Also, please check out mcanimepodcast.com, our website. Furthermore, stay tuned in for another episode. Hey y'all, this is MC from MC Anime. We got another guest with us today, JV. How are you doing today? I'm well, sir. How about yourself? Thank you very much for having me on. I'm hanging in there. Can't complain. So uh, tell the audience a little about yourself, what you do, or help them find you. Yeah, sure. So my name is JV Hilliard, or you can call me Joe, uh, and I am a fantasy adventure author. So if you enjoy things like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or... Dungeons and Dragons. My novels are called The Realm of Warminster, uh, and they combine epic fantasy that you might find in, uh, you know, classical fantasy like uh, what Tolkien writes, with a little bit of a gothic spin. So you get a little dark fantasy in there too. So I like incorporating, uh, you know, myths and legends of monsters that you might see or you might be able to recognize a little bit with my own personal spin on them. As part of it, so it's a it's a four book series. The last of the four uh, comes out here in April of 2024, uh, and that will complete the the first series. And then I've got a couple of spin off some some of the more popular characters that are coming out later in the year. All right. So that's a little bit about Joe. What where can they find you? Sure, I'm easy to find. So if you JV Hilliard H I L L I A R D dot com. Uh, you'll come to my website. You can also find my books at dragonmoonpress.com or anywhere you look for books, really. So if you'd like, you know, you're an Amazon user all the way to iTunes or uh, you like audiobooks, you can find me on Audible or other platforms that provide ebooks, audiobooks, or you can get hardbacks and paperbacks from uh, our site. All right. Well, further ado, today's episode is actually going to be AR, The Realm of Roller Show. So, JV or Joe is going to talk about his adventure going to AR slash VR and the gaming world, how it applied to his world, and the, the books he wrote in fantasy, inspired by Tolkien. Yeah, sure. So let me tell you a little bit about that that uh, journey. I, I wrote a book and I was contacted after my first novel by uh, a, a video game company that loved the uh, the graphic nature of it and thought it might be really cool to turn into an augmented reality uh, and virtual reality video game. Uh, and over the last year or so, I've, uh, I've licensed my intellectual property to them for the first series to create that. And the idea behind it, it will be one of the first melded games the company that's doing it is a company called melderverse and what melderverse does is it takes uh real world um you know it, instead of just having in-game currency so your character finds gold and experience and levels up you also find things that are redeemable in the real world so if you slay the dragon and um you know you, you're able to you know, complete the quest you also when you open the chest you get stuff that you can use in game but then you could also take e-coupons that you've earned from that 
you know, a, to a subway and get, you know, a free Coke or, you know, take it to a Starbucks and get a half off or buy one, get one, one of our sponsors. So, you know, the AR version of that is going to come out later this year. Uh, and then the virtual reality version of that will come out in 2025. Fine. I so that came up to be something you really like. How do you explain that to people, given what actually and been part of everything we've done? Yeah. So it was it was serendipitous. I would describe it as, and you know, the the CEO there fell in love with the series, uh, reached out to me and said that they were creating you know, a new property and wanted to head down this, this path. And I've actually introduced them to a few other authors that I've worked with that might want to turn their games or their, their books into uh, video games. Uh, and, you know, you know, as part of it, you know, we sat down and talked about making sure that the story was, you know, a part of the adventure that you would find as a gamer, but also understanding that not everything you have in the book is translatable to game. Uh, and so some of that stuff went into a storyboarding process where I was, um, you know, able to help people understand who the characters were, what the plot was, what the monsters were, the goals of those characters, and then ultimately, um, you know, work uh, with his team to develop a storyline uh, that was acceptable to my brand as well as acceptable to what they were building in terms of the game. Uh, and I would liken what they're building in this first round, this augmented reality round, very similar to what Pokemon Go was. So instead of you catching a Pokemon Go on your phone, instead you'll be able to find AR items and play not only on your computer, but on your phone uh, and, you know, fight the dragons or, or fight the the, uh, the the villains or the big bad, you know, evil guys and then be able to take, um, you know, from that and use that stuff to to level up or trade to for other folks in the game for other things that you might not have gotten. Uh, or in some cases, redeem them in the real world, as I mentioned before. And so his company, Melderverse, has teamed with Niantic, which is the company that owns Pokemon Go, uh, for engineering support and other things as we try to do this. And, you know, and then as, it, as we finish the AR piece, we're moving concurrently into creating a game in the virtual reality world, uh, which is still about a year and change, almost two years away. So it's a little bit uh, farther down the road than obviously the AR pieces. And... I think everybody's been familiar with Pokemon Go for the last decade almost. And we've all played it or at least seen it played and we know what it is. Uh, and so it's not going to be hard to learn how to do on, on this game. But there's going to be parts of the game you just play on your computer, parts of the game you can play on your phone, and then eventually parts of the game that you're going to be able to play uh, with your VR headset. But for right now, we're focusing on the AR piece. So the augmented reality aspect of the game. How would you describe your book coming to life in the game? So I would describe it as exhilarating. Uh, you know, it's fun to see things when you when you're writing something. Uh, I get, you know, I could take three sentences or three pages to describe a scene or just describe a character if I want to. Um, when you're translating that to uh, something that's now visual instead of imaginary. And instead of me imagining it, I'm seeing it on my TV screen or my computer screen or my my phone. Uh, it's different. So like I'm taking stuff that's out of my head and rolling it into animation uh, or video content that's now going to be used as part of the gaming experience. And guess what? 
my plot is going to differ from your plot as a gamer. You might choose to go down path one, where my story should take you down path six. Uh, so there's a lot of different things and variables you have to consider as the, as part of the creation of that game. Uh, and then ultimately understand that you're not going to get everything that's in the book in the game, right? So there are things you got to have to let go. And, you know, I've learned over the years that in most cases, um, you know, let people that know what they're doing, do what they do, you know, and if you can't do it for yourself, let them do it for you. Uh, and I've given them a wide berth, you know, I've allowed them to, you know, change things as they need them while staying consistent, at least with the parameters of the game. So I look at myself as kind of an offensive coordinator to use a football term. You know, I'm not the players on the field on this one. Like I was when I'm the writer, uh, I'm not even the coach, you know, that's the guy who's running the, 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 uh, the company over there that's building the game, but I'm calling in the plays. I'm kind of creating the scheme and I'm installing the offense, right? Like I'm there saying, Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is how this works, but you guys are playing that game and you're you're going to create it. They're the ones writing code. I'm not. I'm just there telling them what to write into the code to make sure it stays consistent with the, the book. So when you read the books, you can follow the game and vice versa to a point, to a reasonable point. And there's going to be things that happen in the game you won't even find in the books, which is kind of fun. And it's that's why I used the term exhilarating before. It's kind of fun for a guy like me who's always, you know, I've been on the sideline in this process. Uh, but it's fun to watch someone else take my my art and turn it into a new medium, in this case, a video game. Oh, okay. So what's the script to the game the book might not have? So, you know, the game has the, you know, obviously, you know, in the book, you're seeing through the eyes of the characters and you have no control over them, right? They're just taking you through the plot and their own story arcs. You know, and then in certain places in the book, they intersect. In the game, you have entire freedom to do what you want to do. So your characters can meet some of my main characters in the books and challenge them to fights or work, fight alongside of them uh, to conquer a certain evil or to complete a quest as part of the game. Secondly, the game is going to allow you to level up and trade with other players. So, you know, Meldiverse is creating this melded, uh, uh, you know, reality gaming platform Um it would be if you've ever read Ready Player One or watched the movie. It's it's maybe the first itty bitty step towards creating an oasis, uh, but it allows you to come in and let's say you you completed quest one, and I completed quest two, and we our characters meet in the game. I can trade you stuff. You know, I can sell you stuff. There are also skills that you can get by spending time with people that own property in the game, that are building their castles in the game, that have become royalty in the game. Uh, and they can trade you, they can, you know, you can become a baker, you can become a smithy, you can become things that in my world, you could never be. I mean, you're, you're just along for the ride and I'm storytelling to you. You're, so you're a good listener and you're being told a story when you read my book here, you're playing it and you could take it in any direction you want. And so you could start from the end of my books and work your way back. You don't even have to follow the plot line of the book. You can go and do other things, but there are options for quests that you can do that will lead you and your characters to level up. Uh, become more powerful and of course uh you know reward you in the real world with some of those redeem redeemable e-coupons i mentioned earlier okay so you said you were inspired by token what aspects did you take from home into your series when you first made and also playing with me yeah sure so tolkien is the granddaddy of them all when it comes to fantasy adventure right he was the first and he's the biggest and baddest right he's created middle earth and 
With that, he wrote his own language. And with that, he created thousands of years of history that you could read in separate books uh, outside of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and follow along and be immersed in the world that he built. Um, And I think that any fantasy adventure author steps into that same framework is following in his footsteps. I mean, he carved the path for us. Now, we can't write our stuff in Middle Earth. That would be fan fiction. Instead, you know, I created my own world, which is the world of the realm of Warminster, right? And so in Warminster, I had to follow and do the same kind of thing. So I created my own magic system. I created my own uh, currency. I created my own uh, nobility. I've created my own coats of arms and sigils for each of the houses of royalty. I've created a map where you can go to my website and download it and check out where the places are that you're reading about in the book. And that way you feel it's immersed. And a lot of that really came from my... Player, my playing days is from Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like D and D, you know, as any good nerd that's played the game, uh, you know, falls in love with. I mean, you're creating this this world in your head, and a lot of those adventures and campaigns that you go on um, are translatable into good storytelling, right? If you have a good dungeon master, they're telling you a story, and you're playing along. This isn't much different. It's almost like chronicling what some of our old characters did because those stories were really good and battle tested and stuff. So I took some of that and put that in there. But again, without Tolkien, there wouldn't be Dungeons and Dragons, right? So what Gygax and his team did uh, in the early 70s with the creation of the game was really following along the lines of very popular myths. Uh, And, you know, in the early parts of the game, you know, they were, you could, you could play in a Roman world or a Greek world or a Norse world or a Native American world or the realm of Greyhawk. Right, which they had created on their own. So their Middle Earth was Greyhawk, and then it became Forgotten Realms, and it's onto a bunch of others since then. And now we're on the, you know, edition five of the game. Um, and so for me, that's how Tolkien inspired me, and that's the kind of ways that I, I followed in his footsteps. But I gave it my own personal spin. And what what I like about it is that a lot of my personal spin is really uh, dark, right? And I mentioned Game of Thrones earlier, and I think in the past, if you read. Tolkien or what I would describe as classical fantasy, bad things happen, but the good guys have a tendency to win. They don't all survive, but they have a tendency to win. Uh, and they tell a story of ideology um, that moves the needle forward. And, and, and Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and others like him, there was a basis of even some Christianity in it that you, you could see through some of the characters. Like there was a, you know, a Christ-like character in Frodo that was willing to sacrifice his life for the sake of the realm. And C.S. Lewis had the lion that was willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of the realm. And so they, they used, you know, Christian mythos and buried those within their, their realm. I created my own pantheon of gods, right? And there's a God of war. There's the God of healing. There's a, there's a God of good fortune. And, you know, I've, I've borrowed from other realms and inspiration that I've taken from traditional stuff and then created my own, but game of Thrones and the new way that folks see um, fantasies is really more of a dark fantasy. Like there are great characters like Ned Stark uh, in the first book of of Game of Thrones who you cheer for, but he loses, you know, the good guys don't always win. And so that has a way to find itself into my books as well. So that's how I've taken inspiration from Tolkien, but also given it my own touch and my own flair. So it's epic, dark fantasy uh, as you spin, you know, through that. So good guys don't always win. Bad guys don't always lose. But in the end, it's a it's a classic harrowing adventure that kind of pulls you through. And, and then the second part of your question about the game, 
is that happens, right? We all have played video games throughout our lives and you win and you lose, right? And sometimes you lose, you're done, you got to start over. Other times you can save, you know, and start over where you left and respawn and all the kind of stuff that you do. Uh, and in, in the game, the same thing is going to be able to transpire, right? You're going to create your character. They can live or die. Every time you go into the game, something new is going to happen. It's, I don't want to describe it as unplanned because uh, it is planned. It's very structured. But ultimately, you're able to do things and make choices that don't that don't exist in my realm. Like that, you you can make a character that's completely antithetical to the heroes and fights them in my game, as opposed to helping them in the game or being part of your own quest and they're helping you with your quest and stuff like that. It's just a it's a really cool twist. Um, and it's it's not just like, hey, I took my game. Here's a story, and then you're gonna play my story, and you know what's gonna happen. This is absolutely opposite of that. It has its own spin. It's like creating your own adventure every time you play it. Oh, okay. So that D&D aspect with the Palio, what was the implications in the game that you took maybe some elements to put in? Sure. So, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, I can't touch the stuff that they've yeah. got. That's their own property, right? And so... You know, Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, they own that stuff. So you will not see a fireball spell. You're not going to see a character that is, you know, all, you know, completely along the lines of the stuff that they've created, just because I have to stay away from that. In the same way, you won't, I won't describe my world as Middle Earth or Westeros or Greyhawk. I mean, it's none of that stuff. I created Warminster, so I'm in my own realm, right? And but you borrow things from tropes that exist. Uh, that fantasy readers and D&D players and other role players and cosplayers, they can all agree with, right? They're like, all right, I get the rubric that you've created here. There's a magic system and these are the rules of your realm. Here's the currency and that's how that works. Here is the religions and that's how I have to play within those confines because when I'm in certain areas of the world in your realm, there are implications from doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And so you know, I, what I did was over the years of playing the game, there were aspects of it that I really enjoyed and aspects of it that I thought could be improved, you know, and I took all the things that I liked and put it in the game, but they're familiar. So by way of example, I don't have a halfling. I don't have a hobbit. I've got something called a Holdrafolk, which is true life myths that I've taken from Scandinavian lore uh, and st stood up these characters. So instead of, you know, the kind of pudgy hobbit that's the thief, or the halfling character that you find in, you know, the D&D games. These halflings are barbaric berserkers. Um, and, you know, they ride war dogs. And they're like, they're like, you know, they're called Haldra folk because I borrowed them from real life. You can you can research them all you want and find them. And they came from Scandinavia lore, which is where Tolkien got hobbits from. And halflings came from that from D&D. Or dwarves don't exist in my realm. Uh, there are dwarf-like creatures that do mining and forging. They're called twergs, and they have tails, and they they might act similar to dwarves, and you, you would see the connectivity if you look deep enough. Uh, but there are humans, and there are different types of elves. I've got vermilion elves that have red eyes and red hair and alabaster skin, and they work in a caste system very similar to, like, India, uh, in the sense that, you know, the vermilion might be at the top of that caste, and the other elves worship those at the top um and you know that way i own cascadian elves and emerald the, the dale elves and the other elves of raven elves that are in there but people are familiar with the elven um trope because you've seen it from tolkien to D, D on down 
And so for me, borrowing against that, but creating my own, giving my own spin was important to me. And then, of course, all the religions are new. All the magic is new. Um, and the realm, of course, is new. Uh, you know, But again, it's, it's based on sort of medieval times with a little bit of sci-fi. What I've done is I've created a city called Abacus, which is a scholar city. And every now and then, there's a device or something that's created there that advances. So one, one thing I had that's a, that's a pet peeve of mine is, uh, you know, you, you'll look at, you know, Tolkien, for example, and those guys have been at it for thousands of years and they're still using swords and shields and horses, uh, or, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, John, Star- John, uh, John Snow was the 999th watcher on the wall or whatever it was. And, um, he's still using a sword and shield. Well, Abacus creates new technologies through the use of magic and they do certain things and they come in handy for both the villains and the heroes in the game every now and then. And I think that satisfies a little bit of that for my sci-fi fans that read my epic fantasy stuff. It gives them something to look forward to. Uh, and I would put that into D&D terms as sort of like an artificer, like a character that is a tinker or tinkerer that can create things with a bit of you know, insight and a bit of magic and it makes it fun and it makes it different and therefore it makes it my own. Oh, okay. So through the magic system itself, what is the organization? Like so, what yeah. elements do you actually use to create it on broadcasting? Yeah, so it starts at the baseline of three different types of magic. There's a divine magic that comes when the gods interfere uh, with the humans. They live in a place called the Hall of the Ancients, and it's very similar to an Olympus or a, uh, you know, a Valhalla. And they come back and they can take human form very similar to what you'd find in Greek and Roman myths. Uh, uh, or you know, they could also imbue humans uh, with things, almost their avatar of themselves by doing that. So you'll find, you know, characters that are that are God-touched in a way. And what, in fact, one of the main characters is God-touched. He's He's blind at birth, uh, but he's touched by a wandering mage one day that just so happens to uh, be the avatar of a god, and it gives him this sight, but the sight also allows him to see the future when he sleeps. Uh, and as part of that, he's sort of like a modern-day Edgar Casey spun into uh, this character, and he's there to see, you know, the you know the big bad evil guy coming coming back to take revenge on the realm. And, you know, it's using that vision and that, that you know, his... his that divine magic that he's he's able to help the realm and and, and fight you know this epic struggle against the the return of, the, of this evil guy. The second part of it is like a, almost I would liken it to a D and D sorcery, where it's a wild magic. It's a magic that's imbued in certain people that everybody has just a little tinge of magic in them, but most people don't even know it and can't use it. This is stuff that's invoked through emotion and fear and you know and it's stuff that you can learn to harness over the years but it's not learned it's not wizardly which is the third part of the magic which is really standard in almost every fantasy realm which is a wizard that goes and learns by reading and learns by you know trials by fire and finding magic items and crafting those things and and i think it's a combination of all three of those that i've used to create you know characters that are god touched that have this divinity related magic that allows them to heal or allows them to see the future in some cases in other cases it's really to be you know war priests or or war wizards where they're fighting i have big naval battles in my novels 
uh, where they're using, you know, gusts of wind to blow the sails and or, you know, these fingers of fire and ice to destroy ships uh, that they're fighting and things like that. And then others that just have this sort of natural magic, almost like a fey magic that comes to them uh, as part of that. And one of the main characters, Ritter, um, has the ability to, you know, connect with uh, a, a falcon that he uses to hunt and then eventually uses to to you know to save the party from time to time and things like that too so there's all sorts of different ways it touches not everybody has access to it but those that do if they can learn to harness it and or channel it right uh that helps them in their in their quest for um you know to, to save the realm oh okay so is that it's just in the column combat against magic in a way for people that don't have it to maybe equal the playing field a little bit yeah so you know obviously you know numbers matter right and you know a wizard might not be able to stand up against three fighters right they might be able to to take one down and that's the simple answer to your question uh but there are other answers too i mean you could pray for divine intervention uh and the characters there do that and it's a way of combating something that they won't be able to do or the realm of, you know, the city of Abacus that creates these advanced items, you can use them. So by way of example, um, one of the things that they've created was this this fisher's hook, which is like my version of a tractor beam. And one ship shoots this hook uh, that's tied to, you know, you know rope that's laced in a, like a metal cord and it reaches out and smashes into another vessel and then tugs it in towards them. Uh, and things like that so that they can't escape and it's a way for you to use technology to defeat magic or in some cases I've created these things called Granati which is a similar to what you'll find in medieval times which are like these ceramic bowls that have caltrops in them and when you throw them with this powder they explode and blast out kind of like a grenade casting these caltrops into uh, you know and that's not magical but some folks perceive it as magic. Well, meanwhile, it's just a powder that's mixed with metal that turns into shrapnel when you throw these ceramic grenades. Or lastly, um, you know, one of the things that uh, you know I've, I've added into uh, the realm is cryptids. You know, like there are these monsters, most of which have, I've found uh, inspiration from real life monsters and put a t- twist on them uh, that are immune to magics or immune to certain things. So wizards are completely useless against them. Uh, and and stuff like that. So there's there are a variety of ways that I've 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 woven ways to neutralize, negate, or defeat magic by using things that are non-magical. So in the religion setup, is it polytheistic or monotheistic? Oh, it's polytheistic for sure. You know, they, there are there's a pantheon of gods. It's very similar to um, like Nordic myths or Greek. Uh, myths or even you know Native American myths, some Indian myths where there's it's you're you're getting you know you, you know a dozen two dozen gods and and then you also have gods that that I call ancients I don't call them gods in my novel they're called the ancients because they uh, they've moved on they've chosen to leave the realm and enter the hall of the ancients which is the heavens for lack of a better term and they look to the heavens the skies at night. For where they they live and they they perceive the stars as their gods in the same way that many cultures in our real life did back in the day. Um, the long and short of it is, you know, those gods also there are specific gods for specific races. 
So Malexis is the goddess or the ancient of the elves, all elven creatures. Um, there's, you know, a, you know, the, the, the god of war and Kos, who is very similar to Ares or Mars, uh, in that respect, or even takes on sort of a Thor-like, you know, component to him or, uh, Nothos, who is the god of good fortune. And he's kind of like a friendly Loki, uh, in the sense where you could roll the dice and if you pray to him and make the right sacrifice, he might help you or he might not, depending on how the di how Loki's dice roll uh, and things like that. So uh, it, those kind of things I had a lot of fun with, uh, but I needed to make sure that um, I wanted to make it ancient. And I thought that, you know, having, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, a realm that only would have one deity would kind of be limiting in uh, this way, as you traveled around the realm, certain deities had greater influence. Uh, and some were ubiquitous. They were found everywhere. Uh, and so it was just, you know, that way I can, as I built it, I could have areas that were like one of the, one of the, the villains in the novel or is a, like this cult called the Moor Bog. And the Moor Bog worship cryptids. Literally, their, their gods are monsters, you know, and they worship them by controlling them and breeding them and using them to fight whenever they go out. Uh, you know, and, you know, in the same way, we, you know, our cultures would have used war dogs or, you know, carrier pigeons and things like that. Well, these guys use manticore and they, they, and other creatures that they've bred, I've got this, um, you know, uh, you know, this like sort of changeling kind of creature that they worship. And in return for their worship, these creatures do, you know, do deeds for them and stuff like that too. Uh, and you know, that's, you know, so they're not even really worshiping a god or an ancient in my case they're really worshiping you know living creatures that have a, a shelf life they're gonna they're gonna die at some point but they worship that so there's you, you find that i think around the world too uh, you know here in real life and so i wanted to make sure that that was a real part of my realm as well okay so with the setup you will what is the chronological timeline by and setup what is the following events of the story? Sure. So my story drops you into uh, the realm of Warminster. And Warminster was a an ancient wizard whose name had carried over to, for, it, it means basically all of the realm. But my story starts out in a part of the realm uh, known as the Seven Baronies. And so um, the Thronehelm, which is the capital city of Warminster, um is is where you start out and you you see stuff starting to fall apart from from the prologue out uh and uh you know that it's there is a civil war that is brewing between the king and one of his barons who thinks he should be king uh and the baron aligns himself with a handful of others kind of like an axis of evil uh to overthrow the king and to take the throne himself and that's really where this thing heads off. But you don't see that right away. You see that toward the end of book one. Really, what you see right out of the jump is the return of the true archvillain, a man named Grey Taurus, who was cursed by his own god. And his eyes were taken away. He used to be a prophet. And he used this relic called the Tome of Enlightenment um, to, um, to see his own future. And we, at this time where you're reading it, you don't know why he did it, but his God punishes him. And then this curse, not only does he take away his prophetic vision, he takes away his 
real vision and his eyes sockets bleed uh, slowly for the rest of his life until he, he can atone for his curse and he knows of only one way to atone uh and we don't know that as the reader of course uh and he aligns with this baron and it's how they start this entire um this entire civil war uh for the sake of the baron's greed to, to steal the crown and great taurus's desire to end his curse and you have to kind of follow along all four books to see that culminate somewhere oh okay so it's hard to go timelines basically events that it's the law of the game and that law the game follows it to a degree if people decide to do the plot you know that's right so you could follow this will be happening around you as you're gaming but ultimately you don't have to follow the plot of the book you can make up your own quest you can make up your own sidebars you can develop your your character any way you want uh and it, there's not necessarily classes that you have to choose from right you just gain skills as you go uh and that's a little different than some games that like shoehorn you into picking a class like a dungeon oh. dragons so the melded aspect of the game what was your like, appreciation for that yeah so that really came from the idea of i think next generation gaming we see a lot of that now with sponsorship ads within games so if you've ever played madden or nhl uh you know or any of those games that they the equipment that they use and the and the and the stuff they use in games are sponsored by those uh those companies right and it's in game and you see it as part of the game we wanted to take it to the next level what melderverse is doing is is allowing you to take these e-coupons or nfts for lack of a better term out of the game once you've earned them and use them in real life hence melding real life with you know your virtual and augmented reality play uh, and so you become your character in real life and you can go and redeem these it could be as simple as a qr code uh it could be even more complex than that it could be something that's a tradable token or in-game currency that you can trade to other players to use or redeem in the real world so let's say you earn something that you're never going to use you don't drink coffee you're not going to go into a starbucks you could trade that to another player in game in return for something that you can redeem at Dick's Sporting Goods or a place where you are, uh, you know, GameStop. You know, you're going there and use that. Those are the things that bleed out. You know, so you can literally earn stuff in real life that you can use as real life currency versus in game currency that can only be spent in you know in the uh, the course of your quests and things like that. And they're all tradable, buyable. You can meet people and do that and that's where i think that melding comes in where someone halfway across the world you know did quest one and they now can trade you for something you did in quest six uh and uh those items are, are transferred to you in, in that way and it's not like you have to kill somebody to take their stuff you can trade it there's a there's a marketplace for that uh which is sellable for both in-game currency and then the out-of-game currency is just these redeemable NFTs, these coupons that you can put in your e-wallet and take to wherever you need to go to redeem them. And there'll be, hopefully, you know, several dozen sponsors uh, that will play and that, that you can use and, and tap into. Now, ultimately, too, there are going to be other games within the Meldiverse universe that are not related to fantasy adventure. But if I wanted to take my fantasy adventure character into a sci-fi world, or into a racing world, I'm, I'll be able to do that and meet up in this marketplace and my character could earn experience and other things and other parts of the gaming experience within the Meldiverse universe, right? And I think that's cool too, 
And that's what, you know, Jay and his company is building toward. Oh, okay. That's an interesting aspect of not usually see. So the advantage is like you use a non-tangible tokens as a way to exchange goods and services to the sponsor company and also expanding on a in-game universe that can also be connectivity. That's right. You know, so you'll make friends and enemies in the game by willing to trade or sell stuff to them and our sponsors will like it because you're taking stuff out of the game and you know it's you know tate you slew the dragon and uh to complete your quest and level up take this qr code and get it redeemed at a subway for you know uh buy one get one you know six inch sub right and then you it literally is taking you to the subway to do that and if you don't like that token you can sell it to someone else right you can trade it with somebody else as part of that because maybe you don't like subway you know and you want to spend your stuff at olive garden or whatever you know like that kind of stuff you can find people and you can find a marketplace where those things will always be exchanged but your character will have the chance to earn them and redeem them in the real world as well as using them in the augmented or virtual reality world what is one aspect of the realm of river show that you find for your own spin that wasn't based on anything else your own burn yeah so i created i, I think I, first of all it's a great question you know i um fell in love with the concept of uh prophecy and uh, divination uh and the ability for some folks to do that back from nostradamus who's probably the most famous to other fortune tellers like Edgar Casey, I mentioned earlier. And the idea to make that something that you could worship. And we've seen that in cultures around the world uh, where people sometimes read bones or they'll cut open and look at entrails of animals and stuff like that to predict the future. Or, you know, a certain swallow flew by something. And as a result, uh, you, know, you know, they can predict something that's going to happen. Well, I wanted to take that and put that on steroids. And what I, I meant, I made a god known as Arud, which is a sexless god, a god that's not man nor woman, because it is the god of knowledge. And so it imparts knowledge in a variety of different ways. Its followers come in four different forms. The first is uh, the deacons of uh, the divine protectorate of Arud, and they're there as basically teachers, right? They, they are there to be scholars. They are teaching knowledge and spreading the word of their God, which is knowledge, by by teaching people, right? And they travel around and that's what they do. Second one is the disciples of the watch. And they're there to protect. They're basically, they're kind of the Jesuits of this, to use a, you know, a, uh, you know, a real life term. They are these highly trained scholars that also are embedded in politics. And they go out and they work alongside, um, kings and queens and emperors and empresses around the realm uh, in the hopes of giving them advice and being um, there for, you know, political uh, understanding and, and military understanding in some cases and or understandings of the of what the gods are trying to say. The third one was the Knights of the Maelstrom and the Knights are the military arms so they're like the Templars of of the Divine Protector of Arud uh, and they're there to protect not just the libraries and the knowledge of the realm, but also their scholars that go around that are, you know, proselytizing knowledge 
almost like a scientific community in many respects. And the last part, and the most important part, are the keepers of the forbidden. And the keepers are those that are t- God-touched. They have the ability to see the future. And that comes directly from their God, this Arut, this God of knowledge, who imparts it to them in a variety of different ways. And sometimes they're looking into a mirror or a pool of water. And in the main character's case, Damus, he gets his visions when he sleeps. And, but the problem is, is his visions are violent and they come to him and they, they, they affect him physically. And I looked at that as a way of saying, you know what, that's, that's a God touching you. And if a God touched you, you're weaker than that God and it's going to affect you. So he would lose sleep. He would, he would not eat. He would become sick. He would be weakened when that happened because he was touched by something that was a greater, that had a greater essence, a life force than he, and he didn't know how to control it, you know, in the beginning. And so, you know, for him in the beginning, it's violence and these dreams come to him as nightmares. And as he grows as a character, he learns how to interpret that and use that knowledge. And so it's not as frightening later. Um, some of the things he devised might be frightening, uh, but he matures and understands that, hey, I, I can master this. And Arud's not trying to hurt me. And I don't need to look at it and say that you're 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 killing me. And, oh, woe is me. It's more like, hey, you're blessing me with this knowledge that I'm supposed to turn into something. But the keepers are the holiest of the holy. And all three of the other, you know, uh, you know, the deacons, the the disciples, and the uh, the knights all protect the keepers. They they kind of run it. They're sort of like the cardinals using a Catholic church, uh, where they're the high-end, you know, group. So anything they say goes. Uh, and they go out, and they're kind of like, I would describe them as maesters, you know, that uh, you would find in, um, in you know, Game of Thrones, where they are wise, learned people that go and advise kingdoms of what to do, not on the political side, but they're they're seeing things come down the road. You know, are there curses or aspects of challenges that they need to overcome in quests and things? And they're there to offer Arud's guidance so that the realm stays in balance. Uh, and oftentimes they come in the form of ill omen, which is how the story starts. You know, Damus sees the return of the fallen keeper, one of his own that, you know, was brought, this curse was brought onto him as a result of a deed that he had done and used the powers that his God had given into him in a way that was forbidden. And as a result, um, he's cursed. And after a 20 year period, he's now coming back to take his revenge. Uh, and Damus is the one, the last keeper, which is the name of the first book. Uh, he's the last keeper that has the Erudian sight that will allow him to see the return of great Taurus and know how to combat him. Oh, Okay. So is Damus the main character or just one of the characters? He's one of the three main characters uh, in the novel. You know, when you write epic fantasy, you typically write with multi-point of view characters. And so I've chosen really three characters that are what I would describe as the main characters. Damus Alaric is at the heart of the story. It's his story uh, that motivates everything else. But there's a there's a love interest that makes up the other story. So like a fantasy romance between... Sir Ritter of Vulcanir and Princess Adeline Elspeth. And Adeline is a Vermilion elf. She is the highest of all the races in of all the elves. And L- little old Ritter uh, is something I call a trollborn, which is uh, an elf that's of mixed blood. He's half human and half elven. And therefore, he's looked down upon by both cultures because he's not human. He's not raven elven. He's trollborn. He's something in the middle. And she leaves 
the you know the uh, alabaster gates of Eldwald, her home, for the first time, and goes into what I describe as the Coventry, which is the the rest of the realm. Uh, and everyone else looks at them as very angelic, and they're almost like demigods in that sense. But she starts to fall in love with Ritter, not based on who he is, but the deeds that he does, like the true person. And he struggles because he's falling for her, for the deeds and her valor, but they he also recognizes the fact that he's way beneath her, and their relationship would cause all sorts of consternation everywhere around the realm and so he fights his own love for her um, by trying to stay away but he can't fight it um, and she tries to fight all the principles she's been ingrained in and hidden by behind this wall for all these years about you know we're you know we are the vermilion elves and we're better than everyone else and then she comes out and falls in love with the with the lowest of the low this this trollborn you know border knight who you know is despised by everybody except for his own people and she figures that out early on because of his valor because of his courage and because of his character and as a result they fall in love throughout the course of the of the stories and a little bit of danger and a little bit of adventure doesn't it, it kind of helps move that story along too um but between damis ritter and adeline they're the three main characters that you see in the majority of the story through their eyes or other characters you see through because of you know, tactical reasons, but, you know, for the most part, those are the three main characters in the novels. Oh, okay. So, what is one aspect of the book that you really like that's not in the book? So, you know, I hate to say it, but, like, in the book, you control everything, right? So, I control the outcome of, of gameplay. And in the game, I don't. Right, so my gameplay, I know what the story is doing. I know how all these pieces intersect, and they make a good tale. In the game, I lose that control entirely. So you could make up a character who hunts down Ritter and kills him, <laughs> you know, and takes his magical bow, and and or you know someone that you 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 uh, you stop Damus because you're you're make a character that is of the Morbog or someone that's a follower of the Fallen Keeper, and you can play on the bad guys team too, you know, and. It bothers me, but I also think the chaos of it is a lot of fun. So you could choose your side. You could choose neutrality. You could choose the side of the heroes. You could choose the side of the villains. You could walk your own path and do none of it uh, and just have fun creating your own stronghold and leveling up and creating your own religion and anything you want to do. It's going to be available to you. Uh, and, you know, I don't like the fact that I can't control that part of it. Uh, but, you know, that's what makes the game fun, and it's a different medium than my books. My books are defined where this game is is not defined, and I think a lot of people are going to like that aspect of it. So are you going to actually play the game and become a really good player? Hell yeah. I've been playing games since I was 10. That's not going to change, man. And I can, of course I'm going to play my own game. I mean, I, you know, and I'm, I, I honestly already have an idea for my own avatar. Uh, I'm not going to share that here, but, you know, ultimately... You know, I think that some, I'll give you a hint, you know, you might be able to find me as the chronicler of the realm, you know, a goodly sage. If you're a fan of the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoons from back in the eighties, uh, I might be the DM that wanders around and does some nice things for you or wags his finger and punishes you if you do the wrong things and stuff like that. But I can help change outcomes. I'll be able to do some things and play it, um, that way, or I'll also be able to create my own character that 
I have no control over that can die in my own realm, which would be fun. So, is there an aspect of the game when you log off that player is still playable, or is it only playable when you're online? It's it, right now. It's going to be only playing playable when it's online. That may change down the road, but right now, um, you're not going to be able to find that character if they're not in the Melderverse, right? So they have to they have to plug in um, to be available to play, um, and that might be two or three generations down the road where we can do something like that. But it would be like some it would be the game taking over your avatar and running it for you while you're not playing. And you know, I know there's some of that where you could. You can pay in certain games to level up or max out your characters. We're going to have some of that, but it's going to be different. I don't want to give away too much, uh, but when you create your characters, there's going to be some limitations on that. Uh, so it makes it fuss. You have to earn it. You have to gameplay it. You can't just buy it, um, you know, and, uh, you know, expedite the growth of your character. There'll be some. We'll allow some because I think it's commonplace now, but not everywhere. You're going to really you're gonna have to do it on your own. You're not going to get the jump from level one to 20. Uh, without uh, without earning a little bit of of that uh, by by gameplay. Okay. And with these different like aspects, would it be like a multiplayer raid or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So you're gonna put on your headset if you want, or you can you know, well, you know, right now you could you could do a lot of things, and you could you, your character will be, you know. POV, you know, it's going to be single point of view through your eyes, but you'll be able to meet if you have your friends and you all create your characters, you'll be able to meet in certain towns and or on certain quests and play alongside one another like a Dungeons and Dragons party uh, or playing Fortnite, right? It's not much different, you know, in, in that respect. So, yes, those kind of things will exist uh, and you'll be able to, but you'll, you'll be playing single point of view and so will everybody else. When is the release of the game supposed to be? It's supposed to be fourth quarter of this year. Um, I don't have a date yet, but I'll probably know here sometime around May. Uh, okay. So the early development of the game, what was it like to translate that to from the book to the game? You know, it was tough because I'm giving away control of my baby, right? You know, so uh, to be honest, you know, when you give away control of something you've created, it's almost like you know, this is my art. Please don't screw it up. I'm trusting you not to screw it up. Uh, and so you, you have to have faith in, you know, folks that really know their medium. And I had to come to their grips with the reality that not everything is going to go the same way it goes in my books. But I'm creating new followers and people that might buy my books because they're now playing the game and they want to read what really happened in the books. And if they do read what happened in the books or they meet the characters that are in the books in the game, which is part of it not the entirety of it but part of it by meeting them you'll be able to get stuff that you wouldn't be able to get in any other way right so there there it's helpful uh to have read the books you'll see that you'll understand the realm better uh there'll be hints that are left in there um and of course some of the challenges you're going to have to overcome are going to be based on solutions that are only found in the novels uh so you'll you'll meet some of those characters and there'll be some quests that are designed that you'll, if you've read the novels, you might get a sneak peek on how to how to beat uh, the game, or how to how to how to find something you might not have been able to find um, on a quest without reading the, the books. Okay. And in the realm of Lumosaur, 
How many books is there? There's four currently. The three are out. The fourth one comes out. It's called Echoes of Ghostwood. And Echoes of Ghostwood comes out uh, April of this year. So in two months, uh, that will be available. And that will complete the entirety of uh, the first four books. It's a quadrilogy. It's a series. Um, you know, and that'll be done. And then later on in the summer, uh, we're going to have... Um, we're we're going to have a few spinoffs smaller novellas about some of the more popular characters in the novels. So the assassin in the books and Canis drew Waith, He's my, he's like my Boba Fett. People love to hate him. Uh, and he'll be, um, you know, the, the first book called the black rose will come out later in the summer. And then Ritter's book, uh, his own personal backstory, his origin story called Trollborn will come out, uh, in the fall. And then right around the holidays, Adeline's story, uh, will come out. Uh, that's, I'm still writing that. So I, I can't even give you a hint as to what the title is going to be because I don't know what it's going to be. We're not there yet, but the other two are in editing right now. And so I, I kind of know where they're going. So you'll be able to find the Black Rose, which is the nickname for Incanus Druath and the Trollborn, which is obviously Ritter's backstory uh, earlier or later this later this year after book four comes out. Are all four books and took right into the game or they're all in some version of books? Oh no, all four books, you know, and, and the reason being is, you know, it's a, it's a long epic fantasy series, right? So to play along, I've got to give you a lot for, to go from level one to level 50, you've got to have a lot more than just one book's worth of plot lines in it. So there's things in there. There's also things it, that you can, you can go to places that I just mentioned in the book that I've never even described, but you can go and explore later down the road. So when I was sitting there doing the the storyboarding and they would ask me about a place on the opposite side of the realm where the main characters had never been i described to them what was there and they created gameplay around that so if you wanted to go there you know and you took a boat to get there or you took a horse to get there you used magic to get there even though you don't see it in the first four novels it's already built into the game and you'll be able to play and do quests in those different parts of the realm as part of that and i thought that was important because Hey, if you've got independence and free will and you don't want to be playing the same game that you read, but you want to go somewhere else in the realm and explore it, that needed to be available to a player, and it, and it will be. Um, is there anything you want anyone to take from your journey from writing to the books to the game that you really want them to know? Yeah, so, you know, I'm a nerd just like everybody that's watching this show, right? And I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons for 20 years, uh, love it, and a lot of the stories that came from my role-playing have been embedded into this game. Uh, and as a gamer, uh, you'll see aspects of that that really you know speak to you. You'll see the, the combat systems and the way it moves. It feels like you're playing a D&D game. It, it, it reads that way. You're, you're there in the scene, and I want to put you on the ground. It's not... I don't helicopter it and show you from above. I put you in through the eyes of every character and some people that don't survive, you see their death scenes through their eyes and things like that in the same way you would see it in your character for D&D. And I thought that was important because I think a lot of D&D players read my kind of stuff. And if they know that my stuff is related to it, even though it's separate of it, they'll enjoy it and they'll see and find and feel some familiarity to it. Oh, okay. Let me wrap this up. What is one thing you just want as a general message? Yeah, so the one thing I would say is uh, if you haven't had a chance to uh, read my stuff, it's pretty easy to find, jvhilliard.com. 
uh, I'm available. And if you need to get in touch with me, you have any questions or ideas or thoughts, or you have read my stuff and you want to touch base with me, joe at jvhilliard.com is my email address. You can also direct message me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Uh, I'm at jvhilliardbooks or jvhilliard. Uh, pretty easy to find on everything. I've got a, you know, a YouTube channel called The Realm. I've got a blog talk radio show called The Realm. Uh, and I interview other creatives. And if you want to be part of that interview, let me know. Happy to have you on. Uh, just touch base with me by emailing me or reaching out on one of those platforms. All right. Well, you heard from JV himself. Well, you can Thanks, find him, the creator of the, well, the Realm of Lover Show. This concludes our MCMA's episode on AR, the Realm of Publishing. So thank you so much for being here. And it was a blast having you. Thank you, my friend. It was great being on. I appreciate it. All right, guys. You like? This concludes another episode of MC Anime Podcast. MC Anime Podcast is available on podcast directories like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. We also have our website at mcanimepodcast.com. If you want to directly support us, then follow Patreon blog MC Anime. Finally, if you want services for hire, then we're available on Fiverr for audio and video production, graphic design, idea consulting, and blog and article writing. 